0: Hello and welcome to the St podcast. I'm Simon Carley and today I am sat in an office at the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital with a friend of mine who is called Steve Playfor. Yes, that's me. That is you and welcome. Thank you very much. And the reason why I've come down here today is because... Well, we've been talking about this for a long period of time locally, and it's a big topic across Twitter and the social media world is, and actually in the journals, the big journals are publishing in this as well. It's about the use of IV fluids and which IV fluids should we be using and why. And I know you've done a lot of work in this area. You've changed the way that we practice here, which we'll talk about what that change has been. But tell me a little bit, why are you so interested in the use of IV fluids?
1: So I think from the perspective of the paediatric world, we have quite a checkered history of fluid management. And if we look back 20 years at what standard paediatric practice was, we were routinely administering very hypotonic fluids to children because of some fallacies which grew up in the 1950s about what children's requirements were for electrolytes and fluid load and so on that was unfortunate and led to the routine use of very hypotonic solutions like 0.18 saline or 0.2 percent saline in the in the states i remember this when i first did paediatrics which was in the 90s that the standard
0: would be the four and a fifth which is 0.18 uh, saline with five percent glucose
1: yeah four and a fifth four percent dextrose 0.18 saline was this standard yeah requirement for children that was built up on some evidence in the 1950s of the content of breast milk really and if you look at the average sodium content of breast milk and work out how much babies drink in a day gives you an amount of sodium and if you then divide that by their notional requirement for water you end up with a profoundly hypotonic solution
0: but this was standard practice i mean i've I've prescribed worldwide
1: worldwide it was standard practice and we saw problems with this. Yeah, so the problem would be that any individual practitioner might go their whole career without seeing a problem. But there were 50 or 60 instances in the UK where children died of iatrogenic hyponatremia and cerebral edema and coned and died. Many of those cases were unrecognised. We looked after one case in Manchester, in similar circumstances to that, and a child who was receiving what at the time was completely standard care. That's a really weird way that this started off then. So
0: that the, the basis of this was quite abnormal. Yes. And then it became standard practice. Yes. And I've got to say, we were completely wedded to it for a long period of time, and yet it caused harm. And so things change, and we've come away from using the four and a fifth sort of model of treatment. But then, of course, we have to start talking about other things, such as other fluids which then came in because then we went to standard practice in a lot of places
1: to use normal saline that's right so in in the late 90s there was increasing concern about the harm caused by hyponatremia as it was increasingly recognized and then in 2006 ish the national patient safety agency put together a group to look at the issue to try to avoid harm from hyponatremia and represented an evolution in practice. And the consensus of the group was that most children could safely be administered half normal saline as their maintenance fluid, except in a certain list of high risk situations, which was a very long list. And the truth is that apart from children in specific high risk circumstances, which was a pretty long list, and that represents the fact that even at the time, more than 10 years ago, there was a reasonable body of opinion that all children should receive isotonic maintenance fluids Hmm. all of the time as a routine but that was felt to be too much of a step up in practice because back then still 70 percent of our regional hospitals were administering fifth normal saline routinely. So even 0.45 percent is still hypotonic? That's right it's it's much less associated with mortality there are still Plenty of case reports of significant and permanent neurological morbidity associated with half-normal saline.
0: So still not a great idea. No,
1: that's correct. Just taking aside
0: at that point, if it's okay, because normal saline, I have a problem with name, and I know you. I think I have a problem with the name because you told me that I've got a problem with the name. There's nothing normal about it. It's profoundly
1: abnormal. So, wh- where did normal saline even come from? Yeah. So the villain of the piece is Hartog Hamburger. Great name. That's right. Who was a continental physiologist initially worked with animals and then went on to do some other work and he did quite a lot of stuff looking at the electrolyte disposition of mammalian cells and he came up with some calculations of the saline concentration within mammalian cells and concluded that it was 0.9 percent in the cells that's right yeah which is not where we put in the fluid by the way I just wanted to point that out that's correct and it took off primarily because it was a cheap way of providing intravenous fluid for people. So that's the sodium side of thing, which is actually, so
0: the sodium in normal saline is slightly higher than we'd expect in plasma. And yeah. Like, but what about the chloride? So the chloride is the chloride?
1: much higher, so it's something like 60% more than the normal amount of chloride that you'd have floating around in you. Yes, yeah, so what's in the pH of normal
0: saline?
1: saline? It's around 5.5. Again, I don't know this, folks. This is just stuff Steve tells me. But again, it's this stuff that
0: makes you just stop and think. So this is not physiological. It's not... Typical plasma, it's, the chloride is way higher, the pH is abnormal, but apart from that, it's quite normal.
1: Apart from that, it's, it's, wet. it's the most normal solution you could imagine. And the reason why you can't be precise about The pH in a bag of 0.9% sodium chloride is because there are a number of different factors that contribute to the acidity. So apart from looking at the way the physical composition and the chloride and uh, Stewart's equation, that side of things, you've got the sterilization and the irradiation process that the bags go through. You've got the actual phthalates that can leach out the PVC, what happens to the solution when it gets irradiated can generate further acids so there's a whole range of reasons but generally it's in the region of 5.5 so it's there's nothing physiological about it at all and if you were generating an intravenous fluid from scratch people would think you were crazy if you proposed giving a fluid with a pH of 5.5.
0: But people are very wedded to its use I mean it's still I've still got buckets of it in the department I still see it prescribed on a regular basis not by me particularly but it's a very, very common fluid, in particularly in adult practice, in, in paediatric
1: practice as yeah, well. Yeah, it remains worldwide the most commonly administered intravenous fluid because of custom and practice. Yeah. And that's really a product of the 20th century.
0: Yeah. Which brings us on to balanced solutions, really. So balanced solutions are supposedly more physiological. I'm in a very odd position um, whereby when I'm in the adult department... I am a big fan. And I think fan is probably a word which I'll, I'll sit by because there is a bit of, this is the way I like to do things. I'm a big fan of Hartman's. And then when I come down here and work in the PED, I'm a big fan of plasma light. Yeah. I've never really figured out
1: why that is. But the balance solutions, when do they sort of come into place? If you look back at the history of intravenous fluid administration, it's kind of a sad story in that at the beginning of the 19th century, when The blue cholera was sweeping across Europe and ended up in the northeast of England. And medical students like O'Shaughnessy and people like that went off to treat these patients and make their name. And they were using a type of balanced crystalloid solution. It was made with drachms of this and grains of that and ounces of so on, all dissolved into solution. But they were looking at the composition of cholera stool and working out that what's coming out of the patient should be replaced. And so they were making a mixed solution that was based on all of the contents of what was coming out of the patient. And there were dozens of different varieties of of solutions which often bore the name of the doctors who were administering them. But with the absence of cholera from these shores, the practice fell out of fashion. And it wasn't probably until later in the 19th century when Ringer did his famous isolated heart experiments and found uh, through the accident of his lab assistant, Mr. Fielding, putting a mixture of electrolytes from tap water in that organs beat better, surprisingly enough, when they're in a solution that resembles their natural situation, their natural plasma. And
0: that's where Ringer's lactate came out of
1: That's right. So that was the original ringer's solution. It wasn't until around the sort of 1920s that Alexis Hartman (laughs) (laughs) lacked... I've been caught out in the past by saying that, uh, yeah, this gentleman lactated ringer's solution. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he provided a way of stabilising it in glass containers and... uh, Yeah, he always used to call it uh, lactated ringer solution. Mm -hmm. He was an endocrinologist and a paediatrician. There are some historical papers from the 20s using balanced electrolyte solutions which have been buffered with lactate, but they never caught up with the popularity of 0.9% sodium chloride.
0: And Hartman's?
1: Yeah, so he never called it Hartman's solution. Oh, right. He always called it lactated ringer solution.
0: And then we've got the newer, um, I think they're newer, because you might tell me they've been around for ages, but the the plasmolites, which are are now increasingly being talked about. So that's another form of balanced solution.
1: Yes, so plasmolite, for example, is buffered with acetate and gluconate. And, I mean, they've been around since the 1970s in different parts of the world, have been used quite extensively in Europe and in the States, but haven't been widely available in the UK. They've been on the shelf, but it was kind of through an accident that... Baxter found that the characteristics that we were looking for in a balanced electrolyte solution to give to critically ill children was met really closely by Plasmalite, which they had on the shelf. The main point that drew us to Plasmalite was because it's available off the shelf in a variety with dextrose in and without dextrose in. That's the only reason we gravitated towards Plasmalite rather than some of the other examples. So there's Hartman's is available with Dextrose mm. in it, but it's only available as a special order, which is is very expensive. As a consequence, we saved a huge amount of money by moving to PlasmaLite from our previous isotonic saline-based solutions with dextrose and potassium in them. Okay, so that's a bit about the history, and we know where we are. We're going to just briefly touch on colloids
0: because it's something we've talked about on the blog a lot and we you know there's increasingly evidence now that the the very large starch molecules particularly in septic patients are really bad for you Perna's study from new general medicine which showed that the number needed to kill was something in the region about one in ten i mean there's these are these are drugs which have them um, fairly awful outcomes in in those randomized controlled trials i know there's some controversy around that but it, really they've fallen out of favor massively um in the last few years and i think you were saying that the stats worldwide show that colloids have reduced a lot that's um, right and certainly
1: the starch colloids,
0: a bit yeah. of an increase in albumin and an increase in the use of balanced solutions worldwide.
1: Yeah, so there have been two large international studies of IV fluid administration from sort of Southeast Asia and Australasia in that region, and some a large study that was performed in Denmark in the Copenhagen region, looking over the sort of last four or five years of practice. And the big picture is that with people not prescribing the starches anymore, that space has been taken up essentially by balanced electrolyte solutions with a small rise in the administration of albumin as well. Okay.
0: So just going to whiz back now again. So that's that's inside. I'll put the colloids to, to one side because I don't really want to talk about those today because you don't use a huge amount of it in ED. But the saline, we haven't really talked about why saline's bad. I mean, okay, the sodium's not quite right, but the chloride, the chloride is higher What's the deal with a high chloride? Can we not just manage? can we handle that? Or is it causing actual problems?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of data, but there's not a lot of high quality data. There is very good evidence that dyschloremia, whether it's hypo or hyperchloremia, is harmful. And over the last 10 to 15 years, you've seen increasing numbers of case reports, animal data, small series and lots of retrospective studies, some very large retrospective database studies looking at thousands of patients. And they have consistently shown either harm being associated with normal saline administration and hypochloremia. And there have been some that have shown no difference, but there's no data that suggests that saline is superior to a balanced electrolyte solution in any circumstance that I've seen. I think this is a really interesting point and probably worth spending a bit of time on is
0: that there have been those studies out there. And they said the big database trials, which we covered last year from the US, suggesting that there was a benefit to balanced solutions in ED patients and admitted patients um, in adults again. But there was the split trial, which didn't really show a difference, although it was never designed to be powered high enough to actually demonstrate a difference that's come out of Australasia. And I think that has left a number of people in the position, well, actually, there's no evidence either way or the evidence is weak. But actually, I think your perspective is there's quite a lot of baseline pathophysiological data here that suggests that it's not a good idea. And nobody's ever really shown a benefit to saline.
1: Yeah, I would just highlight on the split study. So it was a study which enrolled patients for admission to intensive care Mm -hmm. and the fluids that they were administered prior to admission were not controlled. And so if you search through the appendices of the study, you can find that the patients who received balanced electrolyte solutions in the study had received, in some cases, really significant volumes of sodium chloride prior to enrolment. And if you look at the work in animal models and, and other models in healthy volunteers, you can see that the impact of hypochloremia with saline administration is instantaneous, and the impact on fluid handling and the blood flow to the kidney, and the evidence suggests that those changes occur really promptly, and animal data suggesting that you can have increased AKI and visible deterioration of the kidney and glomerulus. And, um, influx of pro inflammatory cells and accumulation of extracellular fluid in the wrong places within hours of fluid administration. So it really was no surprise to me that they were unable to show a difference because I think personally the major problem was that the children given balanced fluids had already received, the patients rather, had already received in some cases a significant amount of normal saline. There was also the factor of the severity of illness groups and Maybe there was, it's been suggested that a significant proportion of patients were of a fairly low or medium uh, acuity. So they might not have seen changes Mm. that they were hoping to find. And as you said, it's not as if every patient
0: you give saline to is going to die, whereas every patient you give a bound solution to is going to live. We know that that's not the case because we've done this for many, many years. So the difference between one strategy and another probably isn't going to be that huge. So you think, oh, well, the number needed to treat is going to be quite large. Well, is it worth it? Well, yes, because of just the sheer volume yeah. of people who are getting it. So if you have like a number needed to treat of 1,000, you think, well, that's not very effective. Well, how many people Actually, do you think are yeah. getting IV fluids in exactly. your hospital per week? Yeah, exactly. So the numbers really start to add up. Yeah. And and so these marginal gains, I think, are really important. Yeah.
1: And of course, there's a the PLUS study, which is in the pipeline, yeah. which is essentially hoping to overcome some of those limitations of the split study and generate a more pure cohort of patients only treated with balanced solutions
0: so i think i'm I'm fairly convinced actually you know to be honest i was fairly convinced before we started this interview that the balanced solutions make pathophysiological sense and there's no real counter argument apart from custom and practice and tradition
1: yeah which is a huge it's a huge factor and you can't overstate that enough as you say yourself even the same individual in two parts of the same hospital will do different things. Yes, sorry about that. It is is largely based on what happens to be in the cupboard. Where, Where you are in the world has a huge impact on the type of intravenous fluid you'll be administered either for resuscitation or for maintenance purposes. And it's a real hurdle to overcome when we were trying to get rid of uh, fifth normal saline for mm-hmm. children, there was enormous resistance from paediatricians around the country. I remember going to one DGH in the south of England and meeting a uh, paediatrician there who was very close to retirement. And uh, I was trying to persuade him of the harms associated with hyponatremia. And he'd never seen a case. I said, oh, you, you must have seen a lot of changes in your time. And he said, that's right, young man. And I've objected to everyone. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah, that's proper evidence-based medicine in practice, isn't it? <laughs> that's,
0: that's right. Or eminence-based medicine, I suppose. There's a few things I want to just get off my chest because people will be listening to this or conversations I've had before. There'll be a number of things which people have in their head. So the first one was actually, you know, well, can I just start with normal saline and change later? And I think we've addressed that one already. You know, there's physiological, pathophysiological data. That's probably not a good idea. Or well, certainly there's no evidence that it's a good idea. Another one's in resuscitation. So I look at quite a few of the algorithms for treatment of um, patients who, let's take something like a DKA, where the patient's in shock, it advises using normal saline. Actually, there's no reason why you couldn't use a balanced solution
1: in that initial fluid bolus. Yeah. So one of the problem groups that we see in the paediatric intensive care are, as you say, children who are protocolized to receive large volumes of crystalloid. And they would typically be sepsis patients mm-hmm. and burns patients and DKA patients. They would be the most common groups and they are driven by national or international mm. clinical guidelines. Yeah, DKA is a good example of that. Absolutely embedded in practice that you should use 0.9% sodium chloride to resuscitate those patients. There are three or four large studies that have shown by replacing saline with a balanced electrolyte solution like plasma you get considerably less acidemia, uh, you get considerably less uh, high chloride shifts uh, without any harm being demonstrated at all. Um, and that, of course, has been backed up by you know, the recent published data comparing fast and slow resuscitation so, yeah. of children with DK with normal or even half normal saline. I think the fact that you know that study has demonstrated they were able to safely. Resuscitate children with DKA relatively quickly with half-normal saline highlights two things: is that the factors which generate cerebral edema and DKA are much more complicated than we think they are. And also that it's no surprise that you should be able to substitute balanced solutions for saline in that situation. I think the only realistic objection to the use of balanced fluids in that scenario is the additional potassium that many patients might require
0: because mm, it's quite difficult to add in some health economies there's there's quite a lot of resistance to adding potassium to bags because of the, a whole bunch of other clinical incidents which have occurred over the years and i know that's that's an issue for us that's here. right yeah and, and that's fair enough i mean i think that you've got to work you, you don't want yeah. to really get sacked by yes breaking fairly
1: reasonable patient safety protocols that's right but it is it is merely a production issue so there's no reason there's no stability issue which would prevent plasma light or other similar balanced fluids being produced with differing amounts of potassium in them it's just that there hasn't been as yet a market for them
0: okay so that was another area which people are quite controversial about another one and i think it's just worth me stating this these are general principles there will always be the patient in bed 3 who has a complex underlying medical condition, which requires them to have bespoke,
1: thoughtful, tailored, adjusted and monitored fluid balance. Yeah, of course. So you have to titrate it according to the patient's requirements. And there are physiological examples where the patient is vomiting out hydrochloric acid with pyloric stenosis. And those patients will do best by having that replaced intravenously with a similar solution. Uh, There might be some nephrological conditions like Barter syndrome, where you're peeing out a very acid solution and that needs to be replaced similarly. These are extremely rare situations to be in and probably shouldn't influence how we treat more than 99% of the admissions that come through our doors. Okay. Right.
0: So that's excellent. I've got, a, I've got a much better, but quite shocking understanding of the history of where we've come from and where we are now. And I think if people want to look at some of those studies that we've talked about, I think most of them we've blogged about on the blog site or even on some of the podcasts. So go and have a look at those if you want some more detail. I'll try and put links into this into the show notes. If you wanted to conclude and sort of come to come to a sort of final thoughts on this, where do you think we are now in terms of the choice of fluids? if you wanted to summarize, say, in three, three things that you'd want people to go away from, from this podcast.
1: I'd like people to, with an open mind, look at the evidence for a balanced solution versus a saline rich solution, and just put themselves in the position of coming to the situation afresh and saying, if I was generating an intravenous fluid to give to sick people, which one of these makes more sense to me? So reflect on that. Think about, whether what you're actually struggling with is custom and practice and what's been socially acceptable to do in in your circles. But I think the really key part of the argument is waiting for more structured, more appropriate clinical studies, particularly in children's uh, medicine, because most of the data that we've been talking about is extrapolated into paediatrics from adult medicine. But I think the argument for balanced fluids is essentially being won and i think the real discussion point is going to be of what the optimal balanced solution is going to be to give to our children
0: and i think you were saying earlier that the if we're looking to the future then that's one of the things that we might want to know in the future is which of the balanced solutions is preferable Um, and we haven't had those studies yet and i think the other one was whether or not we may see changes in the technology that may allow us to develop slightly different bound solutions because of course one of the reasons why we have things like ringers lactate and hartmann's and plasma is because you can't as my understanding correct me if I'm wrong but we've not really found a solution to keeping bicarbonate which is the missing ion in the fluids in plastic containers and that's why your bicarbonate comes in a glass bottle
1: so if the technology might move on that's the promise Um, I mean the chemists have been working on this for a long time but clearly I can't see there being A valid argument. If a balanced electrolyte solution buffered with bicarbonate was available, which mimics, you know, the key five or six electrolytes present in uh, plasma, I I couldn't see there being an argument about which one to choose. At the moment, your choice is essentially between fluids buffered with acetate and gluconate uh, versus fluids buffered with lactate. And there hasn't been a properly constructed study to compare the two of those
0: okay so there's still work out there brilliant so I'll come call it to um a close there was well, slightly longer than usual but i don't mind because it's a really fascinating subject and it's probably the most commonly prescribed therapy in hospital for sure so you know you need to know this and you need to understand you need to understand where we've come from where we are now and where the future is so thank you from me enjoy your emergency medicine and thank you very much and enjoy your picu i guess Always. if that's your bag always um, i've got to say that if, if you are in trouble and you have a sick kid seeing steve come through the door and give you a hand <laughs> is one of the <laughs> finest things that can happen to you i can promise you that so thanks for listening and get back in touch and let us know what you think it's a highly opinionated area but you know keep an open mind think of the physiology look at the trials and make the right decision